welcome in. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you as always. And for the 100th and final, potentially, time, uh, Penn State and Pitt will play in Beaver Stadium on Saturday afternoon. A noon kickoff uh, going to be airing on ABC, and we're here to break it down with you. We're going to bring on John McGonigal as well. He covers the Panthers now for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Of course, uh, many of the Penn State listeners probably remember John from his time at the CDT here locally, covering Penn State these last few years, dating back to his time as a student reporter. So good perspective on both programs, and, and he'll join us for a solid 10 minutes or so later in the episode we got recruiting to get to this is a, another showcase uh, opportunity for Penn State on what should be uh, a, a really raucous crowd uh, based on what we're expecting and, and good luck getting into campus and that's a different story but Sean uh, as we get set I'm thinking about maybe camping out Friday so so I don't miss the first snap but uh going to be a heck of a Saturday. We talk about it. The emotions run high in very different ways uh, in, in each of these team facilities in this game week. And we just don't know if these two teams are going to meet again. And if they do, uh, Narduzzi may well be in a coffin. His words, not mine. Yeah. Uh, it, it, going back to your parking thing, I sat in traffic for two hours going from my house in State College to uh, to Beaver Stadium last time they played for a noon game. So expecting the worst, uh, you know, hopefully the, the parking efficiency is is better but yeah if you if you're coming i mean get ready for traffic get ready to be frustrated so but uh beyond that yes i mean it's uh i, I don't know when we'll see pit again uh, i don't know if we'll have a podcast when we see pit again i think it's going to be a while just because of how these things work i don't think it's something worth spending a bunch of time on but uh yeah it's a uh, it's really interesting the fourth of a four game series you know it's, it's been kind of one-sided actually since about halftime of that first game where penn state just got you know, shelled in the first half, came back, almost came all the way back, but did not. And then, of course, uh, the last two meetings, um, I, I think closer than the scores would indicate, even though it hasn't been particularly close. Two years ago at, at Beaver Stadium, Pittsburgh kind of sat on the ball as long as they could. Even when they were down, they didn't really try to go out and throw it around or anything like that. And then last year, of course, in the slop um, at Heinz Field, uh, it was just a different story where it was very close at halftime. And then just, you know, Penn State blew the doors off them in the second half. So uh, really interested to see how this one goes about. Uh, I think the talent gap, once again, Penn State uh, has that edge. And, and we'll see where recruiting in the last couple of years is going to come out. We saw it against Buffalo last week and get, maybe get an opportunity to see it again this week. Two very different teams under the same leadership exiting this series, Sean, than, than the teams that entered it in 2016. You look at since that Pittsburgh uh, victory, uh, you know, Trace McSorley, redshirt sophomore, a team that uh, you know surprised a lot of people in the long run and won a Big Ten championship. Uh, since then, you know Penn State is thirty-two and eight. Uh, going into that game, uh, or coming out of that game, James Franklin was fifteen and thirteen in his first twenty-eight games. Uh, Pat Narduzzi was ten and five in his first fifteen games with Pitt, including that win. Since then, he's nineteen and twenty. Uh, the Nittany Lions have lost twice since then by uh, more than four points. Both. Both of those on the road at Michigan last season alone, Pittsburgh lost four times by at least three touchdowns, including that 51 to six loss uh, to Penn State. So the numbers aren't exactly pretty for, for Pitt in terms of trajectory since that contest. They reached the ACC championship game last year. Uh, it got got slammed by Clemson, then the eventual national champion. Uh, but you know, again, I, I just it's it's pretty interesting to see what a four year sample size uh, can show you about two different teams in terms of of where they're going momentum wise on the recruiting trail on the football field. And if Penn State can cap it off with a third straight victory here, um, you know that 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 would be. You 
you know, they can plant the flag at the end of this series if that's the end of it. Feeling pretty good about how uh, they're rolling and, and you know, Pitt's going to have to go back home to some questions. Yeah, and three and one, you know, granted how that started out was not ideal, but three and one looks a heck of a lot better than two and two in this series. Pitt, by the way, 2019, one and one, lost the opener to Virginia. That was that was a tough one. I mean, Virginia, I think, is a solid ball club, but Pitt did not come out and do what they wanted to do. It's actually been throwing the ball a lot this year under Mark Whipple, the new offensive coordinator, which is something that, you know, you're not used to seeing. Kenny Pickett, we're going to talk about a little bit later. But uh, yeah, it's been a different uh, sort of approach and, and, and theme in terms of offense. You don't have the standalone back, you know, uh, James Conner a couple of years ago and uh, Quadriolison was there. Darren Hall was in there. Some really good backs have come through Pitt in the last couple of years. Uh, A.J. Davis is the guy this year, but I mean, he's he, I don't think he's on that level as those other guys. Uh, they beat Ohio 20 to 10 last week, scored just three points after halftime in doing so. Um, so it's really not sure what you're going to get from a Pitt standpoint. Uh, a couple of times in this series, they've, they've played, I think, in week two and have sandbagged week one. I think they did it against Youngstown State uh, one year, sandbagged in week one, held a lot back. Really didn't have that opportunity this time with uh, Virginia in week one. So so we'll see, uh, excuse me, so we'll see uh, how this team reacts, how much they've shown, and how much we can see from them from a film standpoint. Yeah, Sean, you mentioned Pitt, is, Pitt scored three points after halftime last week. They've scored three points after halftime all season so far on the two games, uh, all 14 of their points against Virginia in the second quarter. A couple long touchdown drives, and going back to that Virginia game, all three of the touchdown drives, they surrendered uh, to the Cavs. 30 yards or fewer on those touchdown drives. So interesting how that played out. And obviously not a resounding performance last week, but getting to the new offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple, uh, I think a lot of people have been focused in on what can he do for junior quarterback Kenny Pickett, a guy who flashed as a freshman, uh, came up big in, in that victory, upset win over the Miami Hurricanes late in the 2017 season. Uh, you know, to this point, uh, Sean, I think it's fair to say that that he has not gone out there and, and stumbled his way a, a, into losses for the team. He hasn't cost the team uh, games, but I think it's also fair to say, you know, outside of that Miami game where he stepped up in some key moments, he hasn't produced at the level that's going to elevate Pitt and, and, and you know, make the ball control kind of approach uh, not necessary. Last week, he threw for a career high in yardage, 321 yards. He completed 70% of his passes against Ohio, uh, threw a touchdown there. Uh, but, but overall, Kenny Pickett, you look at his career stats, Sean, and, and they're pretty pedestrian. He's got 15 touchdowns, nine interceptions. Uh, he, he started over the course of three different seasons now. So I think uh, at the crux of this for me is if Kenny Pickett is not able to take a step forward in this moment in his career, have a hard time seeing Pitt being able to come to Beaver Stadium and really take it to Penn State to the point where this one is in the balance in the final few minutes. Because of that running game, they haven't asked Kenny Pickett to win, go out and win games. And, I, and this is something I talked about with Sean Clifford in my season prediction. You need him to go out there and win you games. Uh, the, the bigger, you know, uh, Iowa on the road, Michigan State on the road. They need Kenny Pickett to come out and win those games. And so far, they haven't really asked him to do that. And I think in those games, those possible games that you could see him doing that, he really hasn't done that. So uh, the Virginia game this year to start the season is a is a pretty good example. Not many people know the personnel on both sides, like our our, our guest today, Johnny McGonigal, covered Penn State uh, for a couple of years. He was a student reporter here, wrote for the CDT, and then he got a job uh, for the Post Gazette. So um, we're going to welcome in Johnny right now to talk a little Panthers. 
We now go to the phone lines for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette's Pitt beat reporter, John McGonigal. He's a former Penn State beat reporter for the Center Daily Times. I know him as Andrew Callahan's former roommate. Johnny, thanks for joining us. How's life on the other side? It's interesting to say the least, Fitz. Uh, thanks for having me, man. No, it's, uh, it's, it's been good so far. I've been kind of welcomed in by most of the Pitt fan base, I would say, and and, uh, and the uh, you know, the pit people over at the UPMC facility. So it's been good so far. <laughs> yeah, it's a different world out there. I don't think people really understand what uh, what that means when you're coming to cover a different program after covering, uh, I guess, a rival program. Uh, your mentions must be fantastic this week. Well, let, let's just say this. There were a lot of questions that I had to filter out of my live chat yesterday uh, on, on Wednesday. So, no, it's, it's been, I mean, look, this week more than, more than other weeks, like you said, there was a little bit of a backlash, but... I don't know. I was expecting worse. But then, then again, I guess I don't know what I was expecting. So it kind of is what it is. Well, you're a professional, so you can handle that. Penn State going for the fourth game in a four-game series. They've won the last two. Fill us in on Pitt. Uh, they're 1-1 one one so far, lost to Virginia to start the season, bounced back last week with a win over Ohio. What are the Panthers going to bring to town? Well, it's interesting for Pitt because they're not, at least the last two games, they haven't been that running team that so many have, have kind of come to come to know during the Pat Narduzzi era, they've been throwing the ball a lot. Uh, Kenny Pickett threw the ball 41 times against Virginia, and he threw the ball 37 times against Ohio. Uh, they got a new offensive coordinator in Mark Whipple. Um, you know, Penn State fans might find that name familiar because he is the dad of former Penn State backup quarterback Austin Whipple. He was also the head coach at UMass, uh, where he kind of helped Adam Brenneman uh, turn into a two-time uh, All-American. Whipple likes to throw the ball. And, uh, you know, they didn't really throw the ball against Virginia – or, sorry, they didn't run the ball against Virginia. They had a little bit more balance against Ohio. But, you know, they're, they're entrusting that Kenny Pickett can, can make the throws downfield. He didn't against Virginia. He did against Ohio. And, obviously, Penn State secondary is a little bit different than Ohio's. But uh, that's kind of been the, the storyline on offense. And then defensively, they've had to overcome two season-ending injuries on the defensive line, but have done pretty well so far. It's a veteran group in the secondary, deep linebacker, and – uh, deep at linebacker, and I, I kind of like what the defensive line has been able to do so far. Jalen Twyman stepped up at defensive tackle. Deslin Alexander has stepped in at defensive end for Rashad Weaver, who's hurt. What is that? What does that group, that's front seven specifically, and you know Penn State's personnel pretty well, what does that group have to do to get out of Beaver Stadium with a win or just to keep it close on Saturday? I really think it comes down to just pressuring Clifford and, you know, against Idaho and Buffalo. He's faced some, some kind of inopportune situations. Obviously, that first half against Buffalo – did not go the way Clifford or Penn State as a whole wanted it to go. But, you know, if, if Deslin Alexander, who has had a sack in each of the last two games, he's replacing, you know, Rashad Weaver, who was a really good defensive end, who got hurt in, in August. If he's able to pressure Clifford, if Jalen Twyman, who had three sacks against Ohio, is able to you know, pressure Clifford, I think that's going to be where, you know, Pitt's defense kind of draws its energy from if, if they're able to you know, keep this thing close, which I think, relatively speaking, I think they will. Uh, that secondary, like I said, is a veteran one. Seniors at corner and safety, and uh, they haven't had a turnover yet. I wouldn't be surprised if they get one on Saturday, and I think it's going to be because guys like Jalen Twyman and even Patrick Jones, uh, the second, will uh, create pressure. And that secondary has guys like DeMar Hamlin and Paris Ford, players that Penn State fans are familiar with from the recruiting process. I mean, what is it about that that back four? James Franklin's pointed to them a couple of times about the strength uh, them as a strength of a defense. What about what about that four makes them what they are? Yeah, absolutely. DeMar Hamlin is kind of as reliable as they come. Uh, he, he's been there. You know, he's their leading tackler against Virginia. And then Paris Ford is, is just a playmaker. He's not a big guy at all, but he has a nose for the football and 
I know that's that's a cliche, but it's it's true in his case. And you know, he had a um, he had a, a fumble, a forced fumble on a third down against UVA that prevented the Cavaliers from getting a first down and extending probably another another scoring drive. And he's been coming off. Uh, Paris has on uh, on kind of third down sub packages, like obvious passing down. So that's kind of interesting. He's been replaced in those in those situations by senior Jazzy Stocker. But I like what Paris has been able to do. And you know, like you said, he was a highly you know highly recruited guy, um, committed to Pitt early, and I believe Alabama and some other schools came in on him late, and he kind of stuck with Pitt. And you know, the, the Panthers are kind of uh, seeing the benefits of that now. Talent certainly never an issue with Paris Ford. A lot of schools on him for a long time. Uh, moving on to the offensive side of the ball, Maurice French has had a really good start to the season. He's a really good player. Uh, can do a lot of things differently from from different spots in the field, including special teams. Is he going to have to be the guy that sort of takes the lid off that Penn State defense? I think so, and it's interesting, you know, seeing how Mark Whipple has tried to use Maurice French through these first two games. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of similar to the way that Penn State has tried to use KJ Hamler and just get your best guy, your best playmaker, your speedy dude, just get him in space, get him, get him the ball with room to work, and uh, you know, they, he had ten catches for 138 yards. Uh, French did against Ohio. Uh, ten catches was a career high. Uh, but, you know, some of those, you know, the big one was a 74-yard touchdown downfield where he just caught it, you know, 30 yards downfield and then kind of just put on the burners. But you know, what, what, what interests me is kind of Whipple's ability to, to get him in space around the line of scrimmage with these kind of short screens. Uh, there was even a situation where, uh, against UVA where Pickett, it was like a read option, and then he drew the end in and then flipped it out to, to Maurice French on the outside. And it was a play right out of the Trace McSorley, Joe Moorhead playbook. And so it's just interesting to kind of see the way that they're they're willing and able to go and, and get them ball. I think a lot of people are going to point at this game and see the key matchup up front, Penn State's defensive line, specifically their DNs going against Pitt's offensive line, who obviously had to replace some people. Uh, how, how do you see that one playing out, and how key is that uh, is that matchup this week? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I every week I do a key matchup, and that was, that was my key matchup for this week. It's... Uh, it, Look, if you're a Pitt fan, I, I wouldn't be you know, I, I wouldn't uh, fault you for being a little worried. Uh, you know, their left tackle, Pitt's left tackle, Carter Warren, uh, just made his first college, you know, his college debut against UVA. Has played two games, and now he's going to go up exclusive, uh, go up exclusively against you know Gross Matos, and that's not a matchup any tackle wishes for. And then on the right side for Pitt, their right tackle is Nolan Ulysio, who was a grad transfer from Michigan. And he had two false start penalties against Ohio, which may seem like not that big of a deal. But when you're going up against Shaka Tony and you really need a great jump off the snap every single time to keep that guy in front of you, I think it's significant. So I think that, you know, not only with Tony and Gross Mathis, but obviously with that behind them in OA and, you know, Shane Simmons and even Daniel Joseph, uh, I, I think that area could really cause uh, pit problems. Most of our Penn State fans that are listening right now probably didn't watch Pitt, Ohio last week. Pitt jumped out to a fairly big lead in the first half, but really didn't step on the throat. I mean, what, what happened last week, and you know, is that something that, that, that is a continued issue for them? Yeah, look, like you kind of said, they jumped out to that lead, and, and at no point did, they really, did it really feel like, as soon as the Maurice French touchdown happened in the first half, it didn't feel like Pitt was in any trouble. But they weren't able to finish drives. They had to settle for three field goal attempts, and... Uh, that that was a, a point of emphasis after the game. Center and captain Jimmy Morris, he said, "Yeah, 20 points isn't enough, and it it definitely won't be this weekend." And so, if, if Pitt's going to have a chance, they got to finish those drives. They can't be settling for field goals on the road. 
And, uh, I mean, they, they did uh, take kind of the sting out of it in the fourth quarter. They had a seven-minute drive to basically kill off the game, and they ran the ball really well in that drive. Uh, so, you know, A.J. Davis and, and true freshman Vincent Davis, they're not related, uh, but they're both pretty good. Uh, so they were able to kind of take the sting out of the game there at the end. But, yeah, they, they've got to finish their drives. That's uh, not going to cut it. You know, they cut it against Ohio. It won't against, you know, Penn State and some ACC opponents. That's Johnny McGonigal, elite FIFA player, Liverpool supporter, and most importantly, Pitt beat writer at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. You can follow him on Twitter at jmcgonigal9. He's a Penn State guy. Just check out his mentions on there. I'm sure people will be happy to remind him of it. But we really appreciate John uh, John's time. Thanks for joining us, man. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on, Fitz. I appreciate it, bud. Big thanks to Johnny for joining the show. Look forward to seeing him back in the Penn State press box on Saturday. Uh, great insight from him, as always. And, and Sean, let's go back to the quarterback spot for Pitt. Uh, Kenny Pickett, last last year is a great example of what we just talked about before John came on. Uh, the fact that they haven't leaned on him or really asked him to take the game into his hands. Against Pitt, against Penn State last year, we, we know what the ball control offense was like. It, it was a 45-point win for Penn State, and I think they were still six minutes down on time of possession. Kenny Pickett in that game completed one pass that went beyond nine yards, and, and I think that tells the story quite well. Kudos to you for mentioning Kenny Pickett without saying South Jersey native. Uh, that's a, a notch in your belt there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's got to be the guy that beats Penn State. And, and I think a lot of that is going to uh, come down to his pass protection. And, and if he gets time, I mean, this is a guy, he, he can move a little bit. He's not going to kill you with his legs, but he, he so he can move a little bit. But I think Penn State's front seven can, can really overwhelm him, make him make some bad decisions. A couple of picks against Virginia to start the season. You know, Penn State's defensive backs would love to get their hands on the ball as well. So yeah, I think it all is going to hinge on Pickett, maybe more, you know, definitely more on Kenny Pickett than it will be on Sean Clifford. Yeah, and look back a couple of years ago, Sean, and I know it was a 19-point win for Penn State. They started off strong, I think a couple touchdowns to Mike Kosicki in the first quarter in Beaver Stadium back in 2017, but, uh, you know, Pitt really, you know, put together a nice game plan. They had 24 first downs to Penn State's 14 first downs back in 2017. Uh, Their time of possession was tremendous. I think they were in double-digit minutes in terms of the edge there. But quarterback play let them down. Max Brown, a former top prospect at Southern Cal, uh, he was pretty awful at Beaver Stadium a couple years ago. Again, last year, we didn't see much out of Kenny Pickett. The way this Penn State team is constructed, what they can do to you defensively, I've talked about it the last couple of weeks. You got to have a balance. Buffalo had more of a balance than we expected, and you saw what they were able to do for some stretches there in the game. Pitt's got to be able to find that balance and maintain it consistently. And and, and a key component there, obviously, uh, is their wide receiver in French, a, a guy that you know is kind of their answer to KJ Hamler in some ways. Someone they're going to throw out there as a special teams returner and try everything they can to get the ball in his hand in space and, and let him make some moves and use his speed. Yeah, Johnny mentioned that they will try to use him like uh, KJ Hamler, so they'll get the ball to him close to the line of scrimmage, and they'll also maybe try and take the def- you know top off the defense. Trey Tipton's out there, a, a couple of other guys, um, you know, have have caught balls for the Panthers this year, but French, I think, is far and away your biggest. Uh, offensive threat. Tazier Mack, the former Indiana wide receiver, is another guy that they can look to. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny that we're talking so much about the passing game. Of course, Mark Whipple has changed a lot of things for Pitt, uh, changed their approach, changed their outlook.
outlook and and re- really not talking too much about AJ Davis in the running game. He's got 100 and I think 14 yards uh, through two games so far, but they haven't leaned on him like typically we see Pitt lean. And I think uh, part of that is you know he's he's kind of a, a, a assuming a different role this year in Mark Whipple's offense, but also that that up front those uh, those front five that's going to be a big test for them. I think Penn State's defensive line uh, has a bounce back week and can really put some pressure on Pickett and also uh, you know guy those guys inside can bounce back and, and and stop the run as well yeah the 10 tackles for loss last week for Penn State but but one sack against Buffalo that stood out I, I don't think that's going to repeat itself on Saturday uh, similar situation to what at least on the depth chart in terms of what Penn State has put out there the Penn State has four different running backs listed as uh, co-starters essentially with that or designation Ricky Slade's been the first team guy out there you mentioned A.J. Davis uh, who, who was their third running back last season behind two 1,000 yard rushers who are no longer with the program not many college programs lose two 1,000 yard rushers in the single offseason it happened to the Panthers Uh, but he's got some company back there sophomore Todd Sibley freshman Vincent Davis also carry the or designation so they got the three-way co-starter kind of thing going on in their depth chart I think seven starting running backs in this (laughs) game according to the depth charts uh but I think clearly AJ Davis in in terms of what I remember evaluating him as a prospect coming up the coming up through the ranks and, and then now from small sample size at Pitt one thing that stands out is he can do some damage in the receiving game he already has a touchdown reception uh, this season, um, and I think he's a guy that you do have to, to kind of recognize as, as a dual threat uh, out of that backfield. Defensively, all the talk about Pitt this year uh, revolves around two things. It's it's the injuries they suffered up front. Rashad Weaver tore his ACL, uh, I believe it was early in camp. Keyshawn Camp, uh, defensive tackle, tore, I think tore his ACL. He had an injury. I'm not sure if exactly the ACL, so I apologize if I get that wrong. But, I mean, that's that's killer right there for them. Weaver was expected to be their best defensive player. Camp's a starter, um, not very deep on the defensive line to begin with. They've had some guys step up. Deslin Alexander's done fairly well, and, and uh, Jalen Twyman at defensive tackle's done very well. I think he has three and a half tackles for loss over two weeks. Um, but, yeah, I mean, losing two guys right there, right in the front of your defense, is, is just a killer for Pitt. Yeah, how do you think Pitt would, would like to have the that – Penn State defensive depth chart right now up front. We've talked about how they can go three deep, three deep at spots. Pitt's going to be tested early against Penn State in this department. Uh, Twyman coming off that big game with three sacks. Uh, and then I think what, what you really look at the the highlight of their defense, I think, is that is that backfield. Uh, the secondary, you got DeMar Hamlin, Dane Jackson, Paris Ford uh, kind of headlining this group. And, and, and you know, we know Ford, we know Hamlin. I think people who have followed recruiting are very familiar with those names. Uh, this is a group that's going to test you physically. They're going to they're going to try to uh, split it into the quarters of the field, uh, play that cover four, and and I think that's going to be really interesting because the the last couple of matchups, you know, Penn State, you know, I don't think they've necessarily been tested in downfield coverage. That they've had that edge. I think this is a week, and it'll be interesting to see what they do at wide receiver because we only saw four guys play last week for the Nittany Lions. This is a week where you're going to have to bring your lunch pail and play that physical football. I don't think you can get by just on your moves, on your on your quickness. And, uh, you know, I think this defensive backfield will test you. And, and to this point, three games in, fully expecting this to be, uh, you know, Sean Clifford's uh, biggest challenge of his young starting career. We talk about the defensive line and the back seven, uh, excuse me, the back four. I'm looking at those linebackers and looking at a matchup for Pat Fryermuth, and I think it looks good oh, for yeah. Penn State. So uh, the middle of that defense, I think, is is a soft spot that you can attack. They've got some athletes 
you know, in different spots, but across the board, it's not as deep, it's not as fast as, as you would like to see. So I'm going to see where that goes. I could see Fryermuth having, uh, you know, a big game. I could see Nick Bowers getting into the end zone. I could see some 12 personnel with, with the physical brand of football that, that is in every Pat Narduzzi team. I mean, it's it's a cliche to say that uh, some teams, you know, are, are, are never any different, but, uh, you know, Pat Narduzzi's teams pretty much across the board are, are what they are. They're the Michigan State uh, style uh, of defense, tough guy. Um, you know, so it's it's going to be interesting to see where they can exploit these matchups. I think Penn State's receivers got a shot, especially KJ Hamler. I'm not sure that Pitt has a slot corner that's going to uh, be able to, to to keep up with Hamler. So we'll see where those big plays come. We know Penn State's going to try and set up for those big plays and see where they go. Um, so yeah, I could see a couple of different guys having some uh, some some real mammoth games for the Nittany Lions. Sticking with the slot spot, I do wonder if maybe this is a game where Matt Hippenhammer resurfaces. We did not see him involved at wide receiver last week. We know in the first uh, first game he had a couple of fumbled punts, uh, but you now last year against Pitt he caught that uh, t- uh, caught a late touchdown pass from from Trace McSorley, the first of his career. Uh, we talked about kind of the pressure that's on him. This is a game where I think we could see him step up. Uh, Cam Sullivan Brown uh, is another guy who should have opportunities here. Weston Carr. Uh, but to me, Justin Shorter, we've pointed to it before. We've heard it from a lot of players. What is he doing differently that's kind of increased his confidence and reflects his confidence? He's approaching things with a more physical demeanor uh, downfield. We've heard that from John Reed, Tariq Castro-Fields, the guys on the offensive side. And this is a chance for him to show that in front of a, a, a massive Beaver Stadium crowd a large television audience. I think this is a chance for him to announce himself. Uh, I know we've been talking about Justin Shorter quite a bit all off season. Um, you know, so far, you know, didn't didn't need to make a bunch of noise, and he wasn't uh, you know involved as much against Buffalo as he was early against Idaho. Uh, this is one where I think if you can get him going on the outside, it's going to open up a lot of things for you because I think in Pitt's ideal world, they shut down the perimeter and they force this into a game that's played between the hashes. Yeah, deciding factors in this one. We talked about Pickett, but can Penn State rattle him? Can they get on him? Uh, maybe make him be that gunslinger. And it was it was a fun thing to watch was Kenny Pickett in high school coming out. Uh, just guy that could run around, make plays, uh, throw it around a little bit. It was it was pretty fun to watch. They're going to try and make him do that in front of 110,000 people on Saturday, which is a little bit of a different situation. So we'll see if Penn State can put that pressure on. I think Mark Whipple is going to uh, do some things that Buffalo did last week in terms of getting the ball out quick, try and get the ball to Maurice French on the perimeter and see what he can do. Uh, tackling is always, um, you know, it's always a, a point of emphasis for Penn State, but they did, did try to do a lot of arm tackling, especially in the first week. Uh, or excuse me, in the first half against Buffalo last week. So we'll see where that goes. But I think that's a that's a key thing. And then Pitt's ground game. And we don't usually say this. Pitt's ground game secondary to its passing game right now. That's going to have to step up and move the ch- and be what moves the chains for uh, for for Pitt against Penn State's front seven. Yeah, last year on that stormy night in Pittsburgh, uh, the Panthers pounded Penn State. It was at 200-plus rushing yards in the first half, and it was a game where Penn State in, went into the a locker room with a lead, and it just didn't feel like that at all because of the way uh, Pitt really physically manhandled Penn State up front. They clamped it down the second half, completely turned the tide of the game, and then the offense got going, and the points came fast. Um, I think if you see this Penn State team enjoy early success against the run, uh, it's going to be difficult for Pitt to, to kind of counter that because uh, I, I think you know Buffalo, while it wasn't ten yard runs like we said, they were consistently moving forward four yards, three yards, five yards. That's what Pitt needs here. And if they don't, and they're setting up, uh, you know, picket in third and eights, uh, third and sevens, third and nines consistently. 
consistently. Uh, that's when you can really pin your ears back for Penn State. One aspect here, Sean, going into week three, uh, I think Brent Pry, Sean Spencer, have kept a lot of tricks up their sleeves through the first two weeks. I don't think that should be a surprise to anybody. But in terms of blitz approaches, personnel packages, uh, I think that you know we have seen very little from this team through two games. I would agree with that defensively. I think we see the uh, the substitutions scaled back a little bit. Uh, we saw a lot against Buffalo, and of course the continuity was kind of upset there, and Penn State let up some big plays. Third downs are going to be uh, a tremendously big part of this game, offensively and defensively. We know Penn State was going to get after the quarterback on a third and long situation. We didn't see it a ton last week, and uh, and Penn State's got to be aware of uh, of the tricky things, the screen plays, the, the jet sweeps, which killed them a couple of years ago. So got to be on... Uh, on their toes uh, I think Pitt will still you know can still try to run the ball on third down which is something they've done in the last couple of years but uh, yeah Penn State's got to be ready for all that stuff and I agree with you I think uh, I think Penn State's defense has held a little bit back uh, been fairly vanilla over the first couple of weeks because that is is what the, you know was sort of predicated by the situation and I think we can see a little bit more this week Moving on to Penn State storylines, offensively, you mentioned George, uh, Justin Shorter. Is uh, is it time for his physicality to show up? This is something we've talked about for a long time. I think Shorter can be a vital part of this offense, but we have not seen that so far. It's been more uh, Dotson, Hamler, and Frymuth, and then you know uh, Shorter's been a guy that's you know you've looked to to move the chains. I think he had one catch for nine yards last week. Can see a little bit. I uh, can see them going to him a little bit more this week, uh, especially with so much emphasis on Dotson and Hamler. Speaking of you know major potential and guys we're, we're keeping eyes on the entire offensive backfield. Who's ready to break out? Who's ready to seize uh, their opportunity here? We didn't you know the touches weren't really there for anybody. I thought Journey Brown overall put together the best performance last week, but the touches the volume just wasn't there for the backfield. Ricky Slade it was a disappointing matchup for him in terms of ball security. Hasn't really found his uh, rhythm so far this season, though he did reach the end zone in Week One. Um, I'm very curious about this backfield because I, I you know James Frank. Franklin on the practice field Wednesday says they go into these games for now, um, you know, kind of with the schedule that they they would like to stick to in terms of the ratio of who's getting what series and, and, and when they're going to be out there. But it's very much up for grabs. If someone, if, if a guy or two can go out there and prove their dominant forces in this group, then you're going to start to see some separation, I think, you know, coming out of the bye week, going into Big Ten play. Um, but, you know, I, again, I think there's a lot of opportunities to be had for this running back group, and they're going to need some somebody or a couple guys to step up and show themselves because the major step back in week two, and, and obviously this is all tied into the offensive line and, and what they can do against Pitt. Uh, but again, this running back group, we, we've talked about it too much. It's, it's a talented, talented uh, foursome back there, and, and and you need to be able to exploit matchups with, this, with these guys. And uh, I think one or two of them have a big game. They could set themselves up nice entering the bye week as this team kind of revises its game plan and its approach to, to Big Ten matchups. Well, they need more than 11 carries, and that goes for a couple of things. You've got uh, Sean Clifford's decision-making, obviously. You'd like to see him maybe uh, get get the ball in their hands a little bit more um, just to open up that defense a little bit. You've got uh, drives being extended. I mean, that's the thing that killed them in the first half last week was they just, you know, that, that, that drop from Hamler that we talked about cost them a couple of minutes of possession at least, a couple of carries, a couple of uh, uh, big play opportunities. So uh, need more than 11 carries, and, and, and we'll see where it goes from there. I just— you haven't seen a guy, and, and and 
put this in another pile. Ricky Slade has to hold onto the football. That that is certainly true. Everybody, all of them have to hold onto the football. But you just haven't seen enough of any of those guys, uh, volume wise, for them to to get hot, to get rolling, to get comfortable. And I think that's something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, and, and I think Pat Frymuth, the guy who can help everybody out this week, fully expecting him. Uh, he looks as healthy as he's been all season uh, coming into this third week, based on what we've seen. And uh, you know, he was the John Mackey tight end of the week uh, this past week after catching a couple touchdowns. Sean, he's already up, up to ten career touchdowns in fifteen games. Mike Isicki is the all-time record holder. He was here for four seasons. He caught fifteen touchdowns. Uh, so I, I could see Fryermuth reaching that before Halloween potentially, and and I do think he'll reach the end zone this. This week as well. Um, Fryermuth is a guy that, that you want to see, I think, more actively engaged, early, not, not on his end, but I think you want to see this offense kind of running through him as much as you can early, setting it up for, for guys on the perimeter as well, uh, for guys like KJ Hamler to account for over the middle. And I think it will take some of the heat. They love to bring a safety down into the box that they were going to want to put the pressure on Penn State, not allow them to pick up any rushing yards. Pitts had success in that department over the stretch of Narduzzi's career. Uh, but I think Pat Fryermuth can agree can be potentially the great equalizer in this one on in that regard. Also, Sean Clifford's play action. I mean, his, his mm-hmm. fakes uh, have been fairly good so far, and we're going to see if that turns into a, a potential scoring situation based off those fake. I mean, those those safeties have bitten before, and, and we'll see if they do it again. Also, I'd like to say Nick Bowers, the former pit commit, could see him getting in the end zone this weekend, as I said earlier. Uh, it's just one of those... I guess karma things that often happens, you know, it's just a good storyline. So we'll see if that happens uh, on Saturday defensively. Maybe we see a little bit more of Micah Parsons. You asked James Franklin about his development and he's talked about how, how much room he still has to grow. He's been, you know, good so far, but you know, as, as a linebacker still has a ways to go. And then those safeties, they need to be better. I don't think there's any question about it. Last week against Buffalo, they were out of position a few times. Um, You know, I guess they were culprits in terms of arm tackling and things like that. Those safeties have to flat out be better in, in both facets, facets of the game this week. Yeah, going back to Parsons very quickly, we have a story up on, on Lines 24-7 right now. Put that together on Wednesday night. Just breaking down kind of uh, how he's captured the imagination of this staff and, and how we're all kind of waiting for that to uh, you know materialize in the football field in terms of him being involved in a, in a more diverse way on the defensive end. Of course, I think a lot of people were surprised to see last week he had 10 tackles, uh, two of them for loss. And, and, and I think some people said, oh, where's Micah Parsons? I, I saw some people say, I haven't heard his name this season. He's second on the team team and tackles and again this defensive approach is not what you're going to see I think long term what we saw in the first couple weeks and how they'll utilize Micah Parsons is I think a big part of that Sean Um, getting to special teams very quickly this is the first game where I, I circle Jordan Stout and say he can totally take somebody. I mean, somebody that's a threat and that we're we're aware of as a as a commodity. The other team wants to really lean on. I don't know if Buffalo or Idaho had that kind of weapon on special teams that Pitt has and Maurice French. In fact, I'm pretty confident in saying they did not. And to me, again, Stout has the ability to boot it out of the end zone. You didn't really have that last year. You maybe giving giving Maurice French a, a, a touch or two or three over the course of the game on kickoff returns. And, and this will also be on Blake Gilligan to, to, on punt. Uh, you know he played pretty well against Buffalo after that first one got his groove going but I think this is a game where Jordan Stout you you reconfirm your excitement about this addition because he can bury it in the back of the end zone tell Maurice French to take a hike and get in the offensive huddle 
that 2016 game, how much would you like to have Jordan Stout uh, kicking it out of the end zone instead of kicking it to Quadri Henderson? Um, certainly a difference maker from that aspect. And, and I agree with you. Every time, and, and this is something Franklin's talked about with KJ Hamler as a returner, you just want to get him those added sort of supplemental touches to see what he can do with the ball. They're going to do that with Maurice French, put him back for kicks, maybe put him back for punts as well. Just every time he touches the ball, he's got big play potential. So um, if you can take sort of the ball out of his hands, Jordan Stout can put it out of the end zone. You don't have to worry about that. I mean, that's a, that's a big load off the mind for James Franklin and Joe Lorig. Yeah, and then inside, to me, this is a litmus test on both sides of the trenches compared to what we saw the first couple of weeks. It's a, it's a significant jump, uh, I think, in what you're going to face on the line. Uh, and, you know, Penn State would love nothing better to, to feel that they're going into this bye week with positive momentum on the offensive front. Uh, they know that... that <laughs> that there is going to be speculation about this group and there is going to be concerns about this group externally and and I'm sure in some ways internally uh if if Pitt is able to really you know even match what Buffalo did and I think you know Pitt really in a lot of ways on both sides of the ball should be taking a page out of Buffalo's book um but I think right now with Penn State it's there. If you, we've been hearing about how you're ready to take a step, and I'm looking at the offensive line here, this is a way to prove it. This is a game to prove it early, often. Otherwise, you know, I, I can certainly see Pitt pushing this one you know, deep into the fourth quarter, making everyone feel frustrated. And I think it's a completely different scenario if they're able to get that push, if they're able to be consistent on the offensive front. I have faith the defensive line, like you said, is going to have that bounce back performance compared to what we saw in Buffalo. Can't say I have as much faith that we're going to see the offensive line use this game as a stepping stone in the way that I know plenty of fans and James Franklin himself would love to see happen. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Everything you said, I think you hit the nail on the head. There's a lot of uh, not pressure on the offensive lineman, but they need to take another step forward. The defensive line needs to bounce back. I think they're better than than, than their opposition up front. Uh, Pitt's defensive line is going to be a test I think for a while, and and, and then we'll see what happens uh, as the game wears on because they're not especially deep. We're going to take a little break now. We're going to come back with predictions. We're going to talk a little recruiting, and um, who knows what else we'll get into. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's prediction time for Penn State versus Pitt. Um, I'll go first, Sean. I've got 38-14 Nittany Lions winning this one. I think you see Pat Fryermuth score again, and I think 
Ricky Slade does uh, something or maybe a few things that remind people why he was a five-star, kind of shake off the early season. And then I think you will see this defensive front apply pressure early and often on Kenny Pickett. Uh, Pitt's had nice ball con- ball control so far this year. I think they've only uh, had uh, one ter- two turnovers on, on offense in through two games. I-, I think that total is at least matched in this contest. Um, so, so there you have it. And by the way, uh, we didn't mention this earlier. Pitt has not forced a turnover on their defensive side of the football since their Miami matchup last year, 2018. We're talking about 17 quarters, 250 plus snaps uh, without a turnover forced. And because I just went over this and, and rehashed that, I'm sure Penn State will find a way to turn the ball over very early and and, and validate the jinx I just provided. Definitely all your fault. Yeah. Um, sorry, I was scrambling for my prediction here. I have 38 to 20. Um, I, I'm, I think we're both on 38, which is really interesting. I don't know that Pitt has the firepower to, to, to stay with Penn State in terms of a scoring offense. Uh, just 20, 20 points against Ohio, 14 points against... Uh, against Virginia. I mean, that's just not going to get it done on Saturday. So I like Penn State uh, to win. Uh, S&P right now has Penn State 43-17. So they're kind of feeling the same, uh, uh, feeling the same way about this. But no, I just think it's a, a, a situation where Penn State's big plays are going to uh, really elevate them. I think the talent gap, as it weighs on in the se- or as it goes on in the second half, when Pitt, you know, presuming presumably will have to throw the ball. The, uh, Jason Owe can get to the quarterback. Shaka Tony can get to the quarterback. Of course, Yitor Gross Matos. I see a bounce back from those defensive ends as they take on a couple of pit, pit tackles that might be a little bit of shaky uh, early in the season. A few additional notes uh, that may or may not interest our listeners. Uh, Pitt, 15 penalties for 126 yards in their first two games. Penn State has six penalties through two games, three in each, resulting in 55 lost yards. Uh, Penn State on third down, it's been a rough go of it so far. Three of 17, that's going to be something that we'll all be monitoring closely from the press box. Pitt, on the other hand, 12 of 30 on third down. Not great, but 40%, you'll take that. And then Pitt, uh, we talked about the turnovers and their inability to force those over to last 17 quarters well Penn State only has one turnover in two games we talked about all the personnel changes that's pretty impressive Ricky Slate put the ball on the ground last week aside from that uh, no turnovers on offense yeah um, I think that's the key you play a clean game you've got the talent advantage and you can run with that so I think it'll be a close game uh, in the first half as we saw last week Uh, maybe not uh, maybe not as ugly of appearances as we saw last week but Pitt I think is going to sit on the ball as long as they can that running game that short passing game is going to try and control the clock and get them as far into the game as they can get before I think the eventual talent gap comes over Penn State uh, can can pin their ears back eventually and uh, with a lead and, and and go after Kenny Pickett and I think that that can really add up some points late so we'll see what happens there recruiting wise before we get into the visitors for this week we're going to talk a little bit about Keandre Lambert Penn State's top receiver prospect left on the board he has a decision date in mind yeah he's ready to roll first week of october he will be announcing his commitment at a pep rally down in a uh, Maury High School in Norfolk, Virginia, and he's a guy we've talked about quite a bit uh, as as one of those priority targets up there with Theo Johnson. I think when when you evaluate who they need on offense, uh, and, and you know we'll see. Sean, this is one that that you know Steve Wiltfong has a crystal ball pick in for Penn State. I'm not sure if you do. Uh, I, I'm not sure how Steve is feeling or if that will change between now and then. But you know he's visited several schools: Virginia Tech, North Carolina team like Tennessee even despite their start seemingly in the mix and, and Clemson's been a program that's that's been prevalent here so we'll, we'll find out but I do believe that, that this kid has all the talent I think he's the, the number 21 and, and the top 130 guy um, in 24-7 sports evaluation you know top 25 receiver prospect 
I think he may be even higher than that long-term. He's the best wide receiver um, that I saw on the camp circuit this spring. That includes Julian Fleming, but I have to put the caveat in there. I think Julian Fleming's a better prospect overall, but he was banged up when I saw him on the camp. And yes, I know, Sean, I managed to mention Fleming, but Keandre Lambert, I think. Keandre Lambert, if you're able to add him to this wide receiver group and what they've constructed, it's not the wide receiver group that a lot of us saw coming six, seven months ago, perhaps, but... Uh, those are five guys that I think you'll take and, and you'll find a way to, to, to find some players in that mix. What was it? A three, eight, three shuttle at the opening finals for Lambert this summer. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Yeah. He's just, he, yeah, he's um, extremely very competitive. competitive uh, also, if you didn't see it, Parker Washington's one handed catch last weekend, uh, just pretty phenomenal. So Penn state's got some good receivers coming in back to Lambert. I still see this as Virginia tech, Carolina and Penn state Clemson's also in the mix, but I don't think they're going to have room for him. And I don't think he's very, you know, I don't think he's the highest on their board, which is not saying much about Lambert, but more about Clemson's board. But, uh, you know, he's going to he's taking official visits to North Carolina and Penn State in the spring and summer. Going to get back to Virginia Tech for visits. Got a bunch of ties to Virginia Tech. I believe he's Cam Chancellor's nephew. So the connection there is pretty strong. But uh, right now the Hokies are 70th at 7-0 uh, in recruiting in the country, uh, Justin Fuente is just really not getting it done on the trail. So that's, uh, you know, not a lot of things have gone right for the Hokies in this cycle. And I'll tell you right now, Lambert, he's got a, he's got that swagger. He's got that mentality that you love to, to that gives you a shot in the arm. Uh, now he's also got the mentality that you, you know, you wonder if he goes a few games without seeing the ball, how's he going to respond? But I'll tell you what, th- this kid, he, he talks a lot on the football field from what I've seen and he backs it up. 110 percent so uh, he's a kid that gets you fired up to watch staying in virginia penn state will bring in an official visitor elijah Gaines of episcopal in alexandria he's actually a new york city kid but goes to episcopal where uh, jonathan sutherland went current penn state safety he's going to come in for a visit it's an interesting recruitment because he is sort of uh, been meticulous about this recruitment. He really hasn't taken in many uh, visits, no official visits in the spring or summer. So Penn State's got an opportunity here. They had him up in uh, in June for an unofficial visit. He was pretty impressed by that. Um, but yeah, I think Penn State has a really cha- really good chance to solidify their stance. I think they are at or near the top of the list going into the weekend. So really like where uh, where, where things could be headed with gains. I think they've got a good relationship with the Episcopal staff based on Sutherland's development so far. But yeah, I think that, uh, you know, Elijah Gaines, while I don't think he's ready to do anything just because he has taken his time with his recruitment and he still does have visits to Michigan and Carolina's involved and Virginia and some other schools, while that's not really, uh, you know, happening right now, I mean, uh, nothing would surprise me. And speaking of looking to establish yourselves, opportunity here for Penn State was Zariah Fisher coming in, uh, one of the top players in Western Pennsylvania, a guy that we were looking toward a summer commitment from uh, back in early August, Michigan State versus Penn State, postponed that at the time. Sean, you said that that's probably good news for the Nittany Lions, and here we are, you know, going on a couple months later, uh, six weeks later or so, and and you get him on campus here, going to match up that official visit with his official visit that he already took to Michigan State. It's going to be for a game. There should be a lot of energy on campus, and uh, you know, this is the kind of edge rusher, linebacker, you know, a guy that, that you can use and uh, utilize in some different ways. And I think it's it's a component of this recruiting class that would be a really nice addition, and not really a duplicate, not really a uh, a duplicate addition, I should say. Yeah, he's a guy that you can really put that that cliche football player tag on. He does a lot of uh, things well for Aliquippa. Plays middle linebacker. He's going to grow out of middle linebacker. He's about three, he's six three, two fifty right now. So I would hope he grows out of middle linebacker. But yeah, he's just a does a little bit of everything on the field. Kind of a throwback. Um, uh, Penn State 
hasn't had much success in Aliquippa, I guess, in the last 30 years or so. But um, uh, Fisher's been on campus several times. And I think the dynamic that you nailed here is he was comparing his official visit at Michigan State to an unofficial at Penn State and sort of putting them side by side. Now Penn State gets a chance to get him back on campus in an official capacity. You can get a little bit more. You can do a little bit more, uh, spend a little bit more time with the coaches in terms of uh, one-on-one time. And then you're going to eat a lot, of course, because uh, of an official visit. But good chance this weekend for Penn State to, to establish itself as well in the Fisher camp. And as we said on uh, the, the earlier podcast this week, uh, Philadelphia is going to be well well represented, not official visits, but you're going to see a lot of those younger players, uh, the sophomore class, the juniors, uh, a really impressive group coming up. We've, we've got those details for our VIP members on Lions 24-7. And I think in fact, Sean, if I'm not mistaken, on Thursday morning here, you, you dropped a, a, a larger list of, of players to watch for on campus, right? Yeah, the noon kick cuts into the visitor list, so you, you don't have it as extensive as you probably would for a game like Penn State Pitt. You'll see a lot of these guys are in-state guys or just out-of-state guys like five-star offensive tackle Nolan Rucci from Warwick um, down in the Lancaster area. And, and some other guys, uh, Taishim Johnson from Philly, and Anai White, the really good 2022 defensive end from Philly who's been up a bunch, and those Imhotep guys. Uh, some some guys from Maryland, uh, you know, Caden Prather has been up a bunch. Uh, Ziggle Wheatley from Archbishop Spalding. So they're going to have a chance to to get some of these underclassmen on campus in addition to the official visitors, sort of show them this atmosphere. Um, it's a noon game. It is what it is. But you, anytime you want to get those guys, uh, get a group like this on, on campus, you certainly have to do that. Then you can get them on campus with commits uh, like Tyler Elsden and, and Curtis Jacobs will be up the linebackers, uh, Fatorma Mulba and Nick Elk. Elk- Nick Elksness, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna struggle with that. But you get them on campus with the guys that are already familiar and see what you can do. You've got 15 months to figure out Nick Elksness' name uh, until signing day. So practice makes perfect. Well, hopefully, I got plenty of time because it ain't gonna happen anytime soon. <laughs> uh, Sean, uh, we covered the recruiting. We'll certainly do it. Uh, the ramifications of recruiting coming off of this weekend with, with our reporting and, and of course the insight from guys like Steve Wiltfong and and Brian Doan up on the site. But uh, heading into this matchup, any final thoughts uh, aside from the sheer terror? that we're facing in terms of traffic that was going to be it man i mean get get there early that's been the 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 constant thought from everything and they're trying to hammer that home i mean i think uh, that's the way to go to be honest with you um i mean expect the worst mm-hmm. and then see what happens because uh yeah last last time it was pretty bad uh, beyond that uh we'll be out at the tailgate this weekend always great to see people stop by even if you're not a reader on the site we got people stopping by saying to listen to the podcast and we appreciate everybody that stops by and 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 shares a drink or gets fed food by my father or, or whatever it have you it's always a good time so check us out also check us out on the post game podcast we'll be not sure what time we'll come to you but uh it'll be after the after the penn state pit game uh we'll be coming to you with live thoughts and or tape thoughts and uh reactions to uh whatever happens on the field on saturday but that should be it uh hopefully everyone travels safe i know there's some weather moving through central pennsylvania the next couple days but uh yeah we can't wait to see you out there on saturday anything from you tyler no, I just wanted to reiterate, we will be back with that post-game pod. Uh, as you said, TBD on the time, but it certainly will be earlier than last week. And uh, look forward to bringing that your way. And, and once we get into the bye week, it'll give us some time to kind of reflect on the non-conference schedule. So look ahead for that next week. It's strange to have a bye week so early. It doesn't feel like we've earned it mentally quite yet, but... Hey, we'll take it. You're, you're getting out of town. I'm getting out of town. But uh, business to take care of in Beaver Stadium for us. Business to take care of in Beaver Stadium uh, for Penn State. The 100th and possibly final matchup against Pitt. Noon kickoff. Uh, we'll see you out the tailgate, hopefully. We'll see you uh, out and about in Happy Valley. And uh, we'll catch you soon. Thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue wishing you a great rest of your week.